In the Spring by Guy de Maupassant, 1850-1893. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson. With the first day of spring, when the awakening earth puts on its garment of green, and the warm, fragrant air fans our faces, and fills our lungs, and appears even to penetrate to our hearts, we experience a vague, undefined longing for freedom, for happiness, a desire to run, to wander aimlessly, to breathe in the spring. The previous winter having been unusually severe, this spring feeling was like a form of intoxication in May, as if there were an overabundant supply of sap. One morning on waking I saw from my window the blue sky glowing in the sun above the neighbouring houses. The canaries hanging in the windows were singing loudly, and so were the servants on every floor. A cheerful noise rose up from the streets, and I went out, my spirits as bright as the day, to go I did not exactly know where. Everybody I met seemed to be smiling. An air of happiness appeared to pervade everything in the warm light of returning spring. One might almost have said that a breeze of love was blowing through the city, and the sight of the young women whom I saw in the streets in their morning toilets, in the depths of whose eyes there lurked a hidden tenderness, and who walked with languid grace, filled my heart with agitation. Without knowing how or why, I found myself on the banks of the Seine. Steamboats were starting for Ceresne, and suddenly I was seized by an unconquerable desire to take a walk through the woods. The deck of the Mouche was covered with passengers, for the sun in early spring draws one out of the house in spite of themselves, and everybody moves about, goes and comes, and talks to his neighbour. I had a girl neighbour. A little working girl, no doubt, who possessed the true Parisian charm. A little head with light curly hair, which looked like a shimmer of light as it danced in the wind, came down to her ears and descended to the nape of her neck, where it became such fine, light-coloured down that one could scarcely see it, but felt an irresistible desire to shower kisses on it. Under my persistent gaze, she turned her head toward me, and then immediately looked down, while a slight crease at the side of her mouth, that was ready to break into a smile, also showed a fine, silky, pale down which the sun was gilding a little. The calm river grew wider, the atmosphere was warm and perfectly still, but a murmur of life seemed to fill all space. My neighbour raised her eyes again, and this time, as I was still looking at her, she smiled decidedly. She was charming, and in her passing glance I saw a thousand things which I had hitherto been ignorant of, for I perceived unknown depths, all the charm of tenderness, all the poetry which we dream of, all the happiness which we are continually in search of. I felt an insane longing to open my arms and to carry her off somewhere, so as to whisper the sweet music of words of love into her ears. I was just about to address her when somebody touched me on the shoulder, and as I turned round in some surprise, I saw an ordinary-looking man 
who was neither young nor old, and who gazed at me sadly. "'I should like to speak to you,' he said. I made a grimace, which he no doubt saw, for he added, "'It is a matter of importance.' I got up, therefore, and followed him to the other end of the boat, and then he said, "'Monsieur, when winter comes with its cold, wet and snowy weather, your doctor says to you constantly, keep your feet warm, guard against chills, colds, bronchitis, rheumatism and pleurisy. Then you are very careful. You wear flannel, a heavy greatcoat and thick shoes, but all of this does not prevent you from passing two months in bed. But when spring returns, with its leaves and flowers, its warm, soft breezes, and its smell of the fields, all of which causes you vague disquiet and causeless emotion, nobody says to you, Monsieur, beware of love. It is lying in ambush everywhere. It is watching for you at every corner. All its snares are laid. All its weapons are sharpened. All its guiles are prepared. Beware of love beware of love it is more dangerous than brandy bronchitis or pleurisy it never forgives and makes everybody commit irreparable follies yes monsieur i say that the french government ought to put large public notices on the walls with these words return of spring french citizens beware of love just as they put beware of paint However, as the government will not do this, I must supply its place. And I say to you, beware of love, for it is just going to seize you, and it is my duty to inform you of it, just as in Russia they inform anyone that his nose is frozen. I was much astonished at this individual, and, assuming a dignified manner, I said, Really, monsieur, you appear to me to be interfering in a matter which is no concern of yours. He made an abrupt movement and replied, Ah, monsieur, monsieur, if I see that a man is in danger of being drowned at a dangerous spot, ought I to let him perish? So just listen to my story, and you will see why I ventured to speak to you like this. It was about this time last year that it occurred. But, first of all, I must tell you that I am a clerk in the Admiralty, where our chiefs, the commissioners, take their gold lace as quill-driving officials seriously and treat us like the forecastle men on board a ship. Well, from my office I could see a small bit of blue sky and the swallows, and I felt inclined to dance among my portfolios. My yearning for freedom grew so intense that, in spite of my repugnance, I went to see my chief, a short, bad-tempered man, who was always in a rage. When I told him that I was not well, he looked at me and said, I do not believe it, monsieur, but be off with you. Do you think that any office can go on with clerks like you? I started at once and went down the Seine. It was a day like this, and I took the mouche to go as far as St. Cloud. Ah, what a good thing it would have been if my chief had refused me permission to leave the office that day. I seemed to myself to expand in the sun. I loved everything, the steamer, the river, the trees, the houses, and my fellow passengers. I felt inclined to kiss something, no matter what. It was love laying its snare. Presently, 
At the Trocadero, a girl, with a small parcel in her hand, came on board and sat down opposite me. She was decidedly pretty, but it is surprising, monsieur, how much prettier women seem to us when the day is fine at the beginning of spring. Then they have an intoxicating charm, something quite peculiar about them. It is just like drinking wine after cheese. I looked at her and she also looked at me, but only occasionally, as that girl did at you just now. But at last, by dint of looking at each other constantly, it seemed to me that we knew each other well enough to enter into conversation, and I spoke to her and she replied. She was decidedly pretty and nice, and she intoxicated me, monsieur. She got out at St. Cloud, and I followed her. She went and delivered her parcel, and when she returned the boat had just started. I walked by her side, and the warmth of the air made us both sigh. It would be very nice in the woods, I said. Indeed it would, she replied. Shall we go there for a walk, mademoiselle? She gave me a quick upward look, as if to see exactly what I was like, and then, after a little hesitation, she accepted my proposal, and soon we were there, walking side by side. Under the foliage, which was still rather scanty, the tall, thick, bright green grass was inundated by the sun, and the air was full of insects that were also making love to one another, and the birds were singing in all directions. My companion began to jump and run, intoxicated by the air and the smell of the country, and I ran and jumped, following her example. How silly we are at times, monsieur. Then she sang unrestrainedly a thousand things, opera airs, and the song of Musette. The song of Musette, how poetical it seemed to me then. I almost cried over it. Ah, those silly songs make us lose our heads, and believe me, never marry a woman who sings in the country, especially if she sings a song of Musette. She soon grew tired and sat down on the grassy slope, and I sat at her feet and took her hands, her little hands, that were so marked with the needle, and that filled me with emotion. I said to myself, These are the sacred marks of toil. Oh, monsieur, do you know what those sacred marks of toil mean? They mean all the gossip of the workroom, the whispered scandal, the mind soiled by all the filth that is talked. They mean lost chastity, foolish chatter, all the wretchedness of their everyday life, all the narrowness of ideas which belongs to women of the lower orders, combined to their fullest extent in the girl whose fingers bear the sacred marks of toil. Then we looked into each other's eyes for a long while. Oh, what power a woman's eye has! How it agitates us, how it invades our very being, takes possession of us and dominates us! How profound it seems, how full of infinite promises! People call that looking into each other's souls. Oh, monsieur, what humbug! If we could see into each other's souls, we should be more careful of what we did. However, I was captivated and was crazy about her and tried to take her into my arms, but she said, Pause off! Then I knelt down and opened my heart to her and poured out all the affection that was suffocating me. She seemed surprised at my change of manner and gave me a sidelong glance, as if to say, Ah, so that is the way women make a fool of you, old fellow. Very well, we will see.' 
In love, monsieur, we are always novices, and women artful dealers. No doubt I could have had her, and I saw my own stupidity later. But what I wanted was not a woman's person. It was love. It was the ideal. I was sentimental when I ought to have been using my time to a better purpose. As soon as she had had enough of my declarations of affection, she got up, and we returned to St. Cloud, and I did not leave her until we got to Paris. But she had looked so sad as we were returning that at last I asked her what was the matter. I am thinking, she replied, that this has been one of those days of which we have but few in life. My heart beat so that it felt as if it would break my ribs. I saw her on the following Sunday, and the next Sunday, and every Sunday. I took her to Bougival, Saint-Germain, maison Lafitte, Poissy, to every suburban resort of lovers. The little jade, in turn, pretended to love me, until at last I altogether lost my head, and three months later I married her. What can you expect, monsieur, when a man is a clerk, living alone, without any relations, or anyone to advise him? One says to oneself, how sweet life would be with a wife. And so one gets married, and she calls you names from morning till night. Understands nothing, knows nothing, chatters continually, sings a song of Musette at the top of her voice. Oh, that song of Musette, how tired one gets of it. Quarrels with the charcoal dealer, tells the janitor all her domestic details, confines all the secrets of her bedroom to the neighbour's servant, discusses her husband with the tradespeople, and has her head so stuffed with stupid stories, with idiotic superstitions, with extraordinary ideas and monstrous prejudices, that I, for what I have said applies more particularly to myself, shed tears of discouragement every time I talk to her. He stopped, as he was rather out of breath and very much moved, and I looked at him, for I felt pity for this poor artless devil, and I was just going to give him some sort of answer when the boat stopped. We were at St. Cloud. The little woman who had taken my fancy rose from her seat in order to land. She passed close to me and gave me a sidelong glance and a furtive smile, one of those smiles that drive you wild. Then she jumped on the landing stage. I sprang forward to follow her, but my neighbour laid hold of my arm. I shook myself loose, however, whereupon he seized the skirt of my coat and pulled me back, exclaiming, You shall not go, you shall not go, in such a loud voice that everybody turned round and laughed, and I remained standing motionless and furious, but without venturing to face scandal and ridicule, and the steamboat started. The little woman on the landing stage looked at me as I went off with an air of disappointment, while my persecutor rubbed his hands and whispered to me, You must acknowledge that I have done you a great service. End of In the Spring by Guy de Maupassant Recording by Peter Tomlinson